Welcome back to the Game of Thrones Flashcast on the TV Podcast. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined once again by my two compatriots who have sworn their oath to this house, uh, the House of Podcasts. I don't even know. International House of Podcasts. Monty Ashley. Hello. Hi, Jason. Um, my lawyer has advised me not to swear loyalty to any houses for the near future. How about apartments? Yes, that that's safer. All right, good. Okay, and Brian Hamilton. I'm a millennial. I'm not allowed to have a house. Oh, fair enough. But you, so swear an oath to your to uh, to your parents' basement. Then I think that's our read. <laughs> Did I leave my camera on? Oops. You have to Are put your hand on avocado toast. On I avocado think toast, avoc- you swear yeah. on the avocado toast in your parents' basement. That's right. That's how that works. I also want to thank everybody out there who listens to this podcast because I had forgotten a key factor in this podcast, which is this, and I'm going to remind everybody of it now in case you've also forgotten. This is the podcast where we talk about Game of Thrones right after having seen it. Therefore, we haven't studied it like perhaps you have and watched it many times. We also, and you'll if you've listened, you may have figured this out. We also don't really have an encyclopedic knowledge of Game of Thrones that many of you do. And I, I say this all because... I was reminded this past week that this is the podcast where we do a podcast late in the evening and post it, and then for the rest of the week, we are reminded of all the things we couldn't remember or got wrong by our wonderful (laughs) listeners. Are you suggesting we got something wrong last week? I believe we did, but I don't even remember. Quite frankly, I don't remember what it was, see? So don't write in to remind me of what we got wrong last week, by the way. That is too many levels deep. We're in the Game of Thrones keynote bubble where, you know, everyone else is watching and think not thinking about more critically, but they have more time before they commit their thoughts to podcast to process things. We do it immediately after. I cannot stress that enough. That's right. That's exactly right. I think what's important is that we're giving our our unvarnished opinions. Mm. Like, I think if you go out onto the internet and you look up all of the side characters' names, you're going to be involved in the conversation, and you're more likely to like have your reactions affected by other people's reactions. And we want to be a production of that, not a recipient of it. We want yes. to change your opinions. Ooh, I like it. That's that's. Actually, that was sort of part of the initial conception of doing these flashcasts is that rather than wait a few days or something like that, it's just like, let's just go first, first take quick reactions. And that way people can listen to it as quickly as they want. And um, I feel like it, it, it is kind of fun to do it without a net where you haven't read 50 articles explaining what everything is. And you're just sort of uh, we are we are giving you the factual factual response of people who watch the show, have seen every episode, like the show enough to do a podcast about it, but probably have just as faulty a recollection of what everybody is and who everybody is named as your average viewer. And if you catch us doing something wrong, that's a gift we've given to you. Now you get to know that you knew something we didn't. Yeah, that's right. We don't want to cheat our listeners of that feeling of superiority. Are we not fallible? (laughs) We are, indeed, fallible podcasters. There's a reason this isn't in the bootleg feed for the incomparable members, because this is about as bootleg as it gets. We record, it goes instantly, and if you want, there are shows on the incomparable network where we meticulously edit and research and everything. This is not that. This is? uh, Yes. Yeah. 
That's what the Flashcast is all about. That's what the TV Flashcast format is all about, as far as I'm concerned. Other podcasts in the TV feed, boy, this is, we have not even talked about the show yet. Other podcasts in the TV feed <laughs> are edited and things like that, but the ones I do, no, I pretty much just watch a show and then I talk about it and then I move on. So that's what this is. And uh, we, we welcome you, is what I'm saying. So thanks for listening, and I look forward to finding out all the things that we got wrong and the names of people we forgot as the week goes on. So... Thanks for that. All right, let's start off. So this episode is called Stormborn, which is d- the the title of which is explained immediately in the episode, Monty, <laughs> just for you, which is Daenerys looking out of the window. We've called they've called her Daenerys Stormborn for a while, and the, the dialogue is actually something like, "Oh, this storm! You were born in a storm like this, Daenerys." It's like God, it was it. a dark and stormy night. Mm. Well, storms bookend the episode. I think that's fun that mm-hmm. we get the giant storm at the beginning and also the giant storm at the end. Sure. During which uh, nothing appeared to have been born. Nothing that we know of has been Except born. Except a storm of exposition. But we will we will get we will get to that at the end. <laughs> Let us begin with Daenerys Stormborn. Uh where Oh na- uh, uh the uh She's in Dragonstone, and uh, we last left them with almost no dialogue except shall we begin. And in this episode, they begin to describe how they're going to take back Westeros for Set House Targaryen. Yep, that's right. So we get in this, uh, in this segment, we get uh, Daenerys, uh, I think in a really fun and interesting scene, questioning Varys, who we've seen since the very beginning, and he's always had these machinations, but there's this real question of, like, what are his loyalties? And uh, he, he, we know he served the Targaryens before, but then he served Robert, and then, and, and, uh, and then he left with Tyrion. And Daenerys just calls him out, and I think it's a really fun and good scene. I love Varys and the scenes that he's in. And she is basically saying... Explain to me your loyalty system because you seem to not be a particularly loyal person. And he instead sort of explains that his loyalty is to the people and that he thinks that, uh, as he puts it, the people have no better chance than you. And so I choose you which I, I really like this whole this whole little interaction here because I think she's really smart in saying, why should I even work with you because you've betrayed other other leaders before? And he gives her a great answer. There are several series-long payoffs in this episode, and I feel like this is one of them. The show is rewarding us for seven years' worth of watching by pairing off characters we haven't seen paired off before, and I really, really appreciated this. I don't... Are we supposed to take Varys' statement that face value because i don't feel like no (laughs) all of the things he's done necessarily were to help the people like when he freed Tyrion and let Tyrion uh go kill everybody he felt like and then leave that didn't seem like it helped the kingdom a great deal i like to view varus as having his own morality and his own so his own sense of what's right and he's trying to save his skin but i think he's also i do believe that in his heart what he's doing is he's playing the game because he's trying to have the outcome that he thinks is 
is best. I actually do take him at his word, but it doesn't mean that every single gesture he does is, let's see what the people would have me do here, right? I don't, I don't, I think he still has the arrogance of like, well, I'm in a position to make these decisions. I'm going to choose the, the queen that I think is the best for the people, which is what he's doing. But I do believe that, that he has a motivation that's more, that, that's similar to what he describes here. I, I, I think so. I think I'll, mm-hmm. I'll believe that. I don't know about face value, but I, I think that there, there's some truth in what he's saying here. Well, if I were Daenerys, I would be less annoyed at the way he keeps supporting whoever happens to have the throne at the moment and more annoyed by Varys basically admitting that he's the one who hired the assassin that tried to kill her. That exactly. I have a theory that she wouldn't care if he hadn't put out an assassin order on her. Yeah, that's be. the sort of thing you take personally. Yeah, he's like, yeah, but you know, it was complicated. I do, I do like the back and forth where she says, um, swear instead of conspiring against me, just tell me if you think that I'm, I'm off the path. And, uh, and he does. And I, I thought that was a fun little moment, especially because I thought, yeah, but if he, if, if he thinks you're so off the path that if he tells you you're just going to kill him, then he's not going to do it. He's going to, yeah. he's just going to conspire against you because that's how this works. It's, <laughs> it was, it's a sweet sentiment, but you know, if, I, I guess what she's sort of saying there is don't let me get that far gone. If, if you think I'm slipping here, keep me honest because I don't want to be the mad king. Cause that is one of the things that's great about this episode is you really feel like, okay, now there's a Targaryen back in Westeros. All of those feelings about the mad king come back up in this episode and she has to live that down. And I think that's really interesting that you see it right away with Varys. Like she has to live down the fact that her predecessor, her, her father was, it was her father or her grandfather. I don't know. They'll tell me. They'll write in this week and tell me. <laughs> don't prompt anyway, them, Jason. <laughs> her predecessor, the Mad King, uh, that that like that was really bad for the PR of House Targaryen, and she has to live it down. I, I like that uh, throughout this episode. I also appreciate that the very next segment is another instance of, oh, this is a person who served somebody and it didn't go well uh, when the Red Queen visits and uh, starts talking Valyrian to, uh, to Daenerys, which is great. But it's still another moment of her thinking, hmm. What happens next? Because when uh, she served the Baratheons, it didn't go well. Well, that was super fun because Melisandre showed up basically saying, hey, there's this prophecy that the Internet is obsessed with. and We better get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) The the uh, I like the the long night is coming, which is um, also very much if you remember what Jim Broadbent said last week about how well we survived the long night. So, you know, and and winter's end and all that. And it's like, yeah, but this is here it is again. Like this is this is back. This is not like every other winter. This is really bad. Uh, But we get that that famous the prince who was promised, which we've heard before and is in the books as well. The prince who was promised can bring the dawn. And then there is a Missandei provides us with the greatest. Well, actually, perhaps in the history of Game of Thrones, which is, well, actually, uh, there's no gender in High Valyrian. So I think you might find that it's uh, the prince or the princess who is promised to which Daenerys says, oh, I like that better. That moment. Well, I have to correct you here, Jason. She didn't say that Valyrian has no gender, but that particular noun has no gender. All right. Well, okay. Which grammatically, (laughs) I want to say. Did you well actually my well actually, Monty? How dare you, sir? Well, I I just want to say that grammatically, I don't think that makes sense. What she seems to be saying is that High Valyrian nouns do have gender, like the word for chair will have a gender, but not the word for the heir to a kingdom. Like, that's an actual person. 
Well, ruler <laughs> is like an English equivalent of a gender-neutral kind of royalty yeah, it title. It, it could, it, and if High Valyrian, I mean, there's the thing: if the Valyrian dynasties did not differentiate based on gender in terms of succession, they might not have a, a separate term for prince and princess, right? It's possible. Also, there are like magic dragons and and fire. Well, what and I'm saying is, if your people. language is already gendered, it's unlikely to go out of its right. way to have neutral neuter terms for. It, it might German German has crazy gendered uh, yeah. nouns too. Like uh, the word for girl is uh, is that is it masculine or is it is it is it uh, neuter? But it's not feminine. So no. I don't know. It, it's a it's a fun it's a fun moment because Daenerys is like oh. Okay, well then, this this particular prophecy I will not discount out of hand. <laughs> well, Monty, it's not so much it's not so much that the language doesn't have a gender is going out of its way to make this genderless, but the show is going out of its way to make this moment genderless. I can see the show moving its pieces. I was just objecting to the in in world characterization of the language. I didn't really mean to spend this much time on it. I, I feel that. I, I just love that for a show that has had terrible uh, representation and treatment of women in the past, that they're going out of their way so much to make a pronoun gender uh, uh, correction and validation of femme people, which I think is great. Really, the nitpicking time I wanted to spend was Missande saying, oh, it's this guy, Jon Snow, and everybody immediately knowing what Jon Snow they meant. Because I just feel like Snow is the last name they give all bastards north of a certain spot. Yes. And, and John is probably a pretty common name. Mm-hmm. So John Snow is like saying, "Oh, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh has been taken over by John Smith," and you go, "Whoa, <laughs> John Smith from college?" I'm gonna I'm gonna bat down your nitpicking again because there's only one John Snow who was part of the uh, Ned Stark's family and raised as Winterfell as, as one of his children, right? So that exactly. It, it, there's a guy in the North named John Snow. I mean, we know who we know who it is. We know which guy. No, it's not that guy. It's not the bartender at that place down by the river. It's the one who's the famous one in the north. It's him, right? I mean, I well, think they seem, I, I don't they have seem a problem really with surprised. And Tyrion is like, oh, okay, right? T- Tyrion rode with him to the wall and all that, and he's and he's the king in the north. I I don't know. I I feel like uh, I, I I don't have a problem with that at all. Right. Oh, the uh, I mean, Tyrion Tyrion gives a. Um, I don't know if, if John asked Tyrion for a letter of recommendation, but Tyrion provides one here, which is basically like, he's great. You should get him down here and let him tell you what he's seen. I'm an excellent judge of character, says Tyrion, and everybody looks at him. I would like to join your network on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. But send a raven to LinkedIn. By the way, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. There are lots of, there are lots of ravens in this episode. Um, the, uh, but, but Daenerys very specifically says, uh, sure, sure, get him down here tell him to bend the knee so like she doesn't like this king in the north business he's he sounds interesting and all and we'll come down you know have him come down here and talk to me but i want him to basically uh admit that i'm in charge uh or yeah. if if i if i receive him and this is one of those things where it's like come on can you people just be friendly for a minute <laughs> and stop making it all about this and the answer is no they can't they can't that's why there's a show well i think that's what john's trying to do Everybody wants to rule the entire Seven Kingdoms, even though to the viewer of the television show, it looks like the Seven Kingdoms have been splintered apart for quite a while by this point. Like, you need to take what you can get and then think about, you need a reunification drive. You can't just say, well, that's a kingdom, therefore I have to rule that too. I'm going to go out on a limb here too and say that um, 
if you're calling them the seven kingdoms, you've done a very bad job of unifying them historically because there really should just be the one kingdom. And if they still are, there still are seven of them. Um, what are you doing? <laughs> That's not how well, it works. You know, Jason, you live in a country called the United States. Yeah. United the being the key word. We're not the 50 states. We are the United States, well, of which the, there are an indeterminate number. What? Man, I'm glad you never got into that flag-making business, because you'd have been terrible. I think calling their country <laughs> the Seven Kingdoms, the important part is that there's a plural noun there, and there's a plural but noun in our language. there's one king. Seven kingdoms and one king. Okay. Is it gendered? That's what I want to... I don't actually want to know that. Um... We come back to this, uh, and we get, speaking of women in positions of power, but one of the things that has struck me this season on Game of Thrones is, um, many, lots of the men have died, um, but, uh, many of the women are still around. And so you get these scenes like the one later where they're at the table, um, and, uh, Tyrion is walking around with various little chess pieces, uh, to explain their plan. And that is a whole conversation happening bet- between Daenerys and uh yara Greyjoy and lady olena tyrell about the and uh what's what's her name from dorne about um about how they're going to attack and it's these women and Tyrion having uh this whole conversation about uh what their strategy is and they all want her to just like do immediately frontal assault on uh king's landing and Tyr- Tyrion has been thinking up a plan that's a little bit different, which is to to play a se- lay a siege on King's Landing, and while attacking elsewhere as well, including at Casterly Rock where the Lannisters live. Um, but this is a so there's a whole lot of dialogue in here and some great stuff with Daenerys again characters we haven't really seen uh, spend time together before. We get especially I like Daenerys talking to Lady Elena. That was pretty great. Two quick things. Uh, first of all, for the first two or three seasons of Game of Thrones, I thought that Castle Rock was in King's Landing because of the unification of the Lannisters, King's Landing, Castle Rock, all of that together. I thought King's Landing was Castle Rock. Turns out I was wrong, mm-hmm. and I learned that before I started this podcast, so do not write me, internet. Uh, so second, I yeah, absolutely... King's, La- uh, King's Landing is where the king is. Uh, Castle Rock is like the Lannisters, uh, uh, the home territory of the Lannisters, right? So the, the if you think about it, like, like uh, King's Landing is like dc for our for our americans <laughs> it's it's this place where the where the the head of state is but it's not like a historical family uh holding mm-hmm. like that that's why Tyrion's um dad was off at casterly rock is that that's mm-hmm. yeah but you're right the geography it could just be he was sitting on a rock outside but it, it turns out it wasn't i also love the uh theory Tyrion put forth that uh they shouldn't use the unsullied or dothraki because cersei's going to use xenophobia as a rallying cry to defend against uh against daenerys so i loved that kind of extra little manipulation that was something i had never thought of and i guess that's why they pay Tyrion the big bucks to uh come up with these kinds of underhanded sneaky pr style kind of uh military strategies yeah he was right too because cersei was going on about the evil castrati and the dothraki here on our lands yes and we'll get we'll get to that but i I will say Tyrion also maybe just watch babylon 5 because that's actually what happens in babylon 5 is when they when they uh, turn their attention to retaking earth uh captain sheridan uh says that all the minbari have to step aside and only the earth uh ships can go back to earth and fight against Earth. the big pile and it was a very similar thing yes that's right uh Simon Pegg from Space to the Big Pile. <laughs> Tyrion Lannister watches Babylon 5 is what I'm saying. So And Spaced, apparently. Yes, perhaps. 
No, because he enjoyed it enough to remember that when Sheridan did it, it worked so that he should do that too. Spoilers for Babylon 5 Season 4. I love that Daenerys is also confident enough that uh, people are drinking secret toasts to her and wanting to uh, overthrow the Lannisters because, of course, every single ruler in, uh, you know, it's the freaking silent majority, you know? It's uh, every single ruler in, uh, in, in Westeros is thinking that everyone is on their side. And who knows? Maybe that's true. We have no confidence of that i really like that because that is that is the puncturing that whole um the the fantasy of every rule i think daenerys very much understands that she has a lot to um live down from her predecessor on the iron throne from the uh from uh, the mad king and that uh just because nobody likes cersei doesn't necessarily mean that that means they all love putting another targaryen on the throne right especially since i get this you know you get the sense that this was a dynasty that lasted a very long time and was only recently overthrown and now you're trying to bring it back like uh, I, this is some. This is again text that the show hasn't spent a lot of time on because it hasn't needed to. But now it's back in in uh, in in the huge amounts because she has to deal with this. And we also see that a little bit later in the Winterfell scene where everyone's freaking out. Wait, you're going to see the Targaryen? She she she's a descendant of the Mad King. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't go there. Like we see that later. Yeah, yeah, and and that's definitely. Uh, a lot of what we get in this episode. There is a private moment between Daenerys and Elena, which is great, where she says, you know, you can talk about peace, but peace never lasts. Um, and <laughs> and you need to and you need to make up your own mind and not just listen to other people because uh, that that they will lead you astray, which it's just it's a fun scene. And it's fun seeing those characters bounce off of each other. And anything that gives us more Diana Rigg as Lady Elena yeah. is also uh, mm-hmm. something I'm very I, happy. I about. did feel like a lot of the Dragonstone scenes were apologizing to the audience for Daenerys not just swooping down on King's Landing and winning right away. Like, they had to have the characters explicitly say, oh, we could win right away, of course. But but, every, but, but we would burn, we, like, but it would be at the cost of, of the whole c- kingdom being destroyed, yeah. essentially. I don't want to be the Queen of the Ashes. Yes. I love that line, Queen of the Ashes. She says, quoting Tyrion, and, Tyr- and Tyrion's like, I came up with that one. That's right. <laughs> so I, I just felt like that's the show saying, just just hang on. Yeah. Yes, she could, we could have a big battle scene right now, but that would be the end of the series. Right. And we don't want to do that just yet. Um, and she's got she's got reasons. And then an incredible one-on-one scene between uh, Diana Rigg and Daenerys, which I loved, loved, loved. Monty, I knew you loved that one. Oh, I yep. thought you meant the one-on-one scene with Grey Worm and Miss Sunday. Ha! Hey! <laughs> that <laughs> one went on for a while, didn't it? <laughs> it did. There was one-on-one, for sure. Um, that's been a one of these stranger um, courtships on this show. And finally, we get some... I got, I'm really worried now, guys, because um, we got to see them uh say their goodbyes and and gray worm admit that his only weakness is her and that he has no other weakness he's otherwise perfect okay maybe so it could be women are a weakness we understand um but uh because and then uh they get naked and uh yeah so good for them good good on you you kids you crazy kids but i'm worried now that something terrible is going to happen to one or both of them because they got to have this wonderful uh moment together because that's how my mind works when i watch a show where terrible things happen to people um yeah but it's nice to see. I think I think uh, I enjoy that he doesn't want to take off his uh, his pants because you know he's a eunuch, um, and uh, she expresses her comfort with him no matter what is uh, is 
under his pants <laughs> and so she you know she pulls down his pants and then they're all rolling around on the bed i think it's i thought that was really sweet because that is the unspoken question there is that he's unsullied he's a he he's a different uh kind of person his his body is not like your average male warrior right and um and that doesn't matter to her and uh i thought that was cool it was sweet. I will admit, in my living room, we were singing songs from Hedwig and the Angry Inch when that happened. <laughs> I had those kind thoughts. of undercut the majesty. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. It's a nice, it's a nice moment of comfort for him because this relationship has meant so much to the both of them over the course of these seasons that they've been in together. And I really enjoyed that this is something he went against his unsullied vows for this person, and he grew as a person in a way that you know he's comfortable enough with his own body to finally celebrate mm-hmm. this relationship and i i really appreciated that it was an again long awkward scene because game of thrones sex scenes are always long awkward scenes but i really appreciate where this is going to go for the characters and again you're right jason i am terrified something's going to happen to one or both of them mm-hmm. yeah yeah you don't have a touching goodbye scene and then two episodes later a touching reunion scene where everything went fine not yeah. on this show it seems it seems unlikely but uh we'll, we'll find out um, let's move away from Dragonstone to, uh, Winterfell and Jon Snow. Which Jon Snow, Monty, you may be asking? Uh, the, the, the guy who was raised by Ned Stark, that one. Not the other guy. Not the other Jon well, Snow. Well, see, what I'm saying is she just said Jon Snow, and then everybody else said, oh, you mean the one that was raised by Ned Stark? Yeah. She did not clarify. She said some bastard named Jon, and they assumed they knew it was the famous one. Everybody Even though knew that. Tyrion had seen him sign up with the Night's Watch, where you don't come back from. It was not a natural assumption on their part. All right. I again, I'm going to say I think that uh, I, I let that one go because it's like who else could it be? It must be yep, him. Ditto. Um, Monty is more more critical at this than than you and me, Brian. It's fine. Anyway, Jon Snow, that one. Well, is yeah, the one make I'm talking me bring about. it up again. I'm going to bring it up again. All right. Um, oh, that Jon Snow. It would be funny if they're like, oh, that Jon Snow. I didn't know you meant that one. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, Jon Snow. So let's talk about what Jon does in this episode, because what Jon does in this episode is receive Raven messages. That's This is like Jon is checking his email in this episode. That's what we get. Raven box zero. He gets a Raven from uh from sam he gets a raven from Tyrion. Tyrion's uh raven message and and it's he includes a phrase that could only have been from him basically because it's a thing that they said when they met the last time and it's trying to validate that this isn't a, a trick uh saying come on down to dragonstone um they uh sansa and the onion knight are helping him kind of interpret what this might mean uh John points out that fire kills the white the white walkers fire fire kills whites and what breeds fire but dragons so maybe we should talk to these uh, people who have dragons um when the citadel raven comes um he actually shows that message and the other message to his again very large meeting that he has with all of the lords in winterfell and he basically says i'm gonna go because we need the dragon glass and we need allies and this is the the give and take that you said earlier which is this is your um it's a trap (laughs) the mad king roasted our grandfather alive sansa says we need the king in the north to stay in the north um we we get all of that um and john's response is basically i get it but 
and I'm never going to stop fighting for the North, but the odds are against us. I need to go and do this, and I'm going to leave Sansa in charge in the meantime. I don't believe Tyrion would do that. He's a good man. And thorough, I guess. I really appreciate earlier in, in, uh, in the first scene at Winterfell when uh, the Onion Knight says, if the army of the dead makes it past the wall, we will, have enough, will we have enough men to fight them? And it was finally an acknowledgement of a possible endgame. This is what we've been waiting for this whole time, to acknowledge that these big badass dragons and this big badass undead army can finally fight. And I really appreciated that. I can't believe Jon still isn't discussing things with Sansa in private. I know, before right? Before going public with everything. I mean, it's possible but, that, that he did discuss some of it, but saying I'm putting you in charge of the ship. Can you imagine if Captain Kirk was going down on a on a, uh, a landing party and he said, uh, uh, Sulu, uh, you stay at the helm, Chekhov's in charge, and then ran off the ship. It'd be like, what? Chekhov'd be like, what? What? This is a total surprise. No. Is that not what normally happens? No, usually he gives it to Sulu. <laughs> Sulu is, I don't know or, the... or Scotty. The line of succession for the Enterprise. What I'm saying is... This seems like nerd stuff to me. Okay, back to the dragons then. (laughs) Um, Sansa, he may have discussed this stuff with her beforehand, but, you know, she looks surprised when he says, let me explain this, you're the other surviving child of Ned Stark, and we're at Winterfell, so this is your place. Which, one, doesn't really need to be explained, and two, yeah, if you're going to put her in charge... Maybe line that up so that when he says, you know, Sansa's going to stay in charge of this, she's like, yeah, I am. And I got a whole speech prepared. But instead, they insist on having only meetings where 80 people are there instead of, I mean, they had that conversation earlier. Why did they not walk through this before? Yeah. And I think the answer is because it's more dramatic on TV this way, but that's not a good yep, answer. It just makes me think he's a bad manager because... Yes. You want your core staff to agree with your plan when you announce it, not have your second in command say, wait, you're going south? We That's talked crazy. A, we talked about that. this last week. Like, this is meetings 101 yeah. when you're a manager, is that you get alignment among all of the managers, and then when you go into the meeting, everybody tells the same story. And Jon Snow, yeah, say what you will about this guy, this is not his best thing. I'll give the show this one. It's more dramatic. I like the scene it made for a better ending when he goes off and rides south. So I'll give the show this one. I don't really care. I guess YouTube been in more management meetings than I have. <laughs> well, you're you're just you know this is this is not how you would do this. Is you you yeah. would not you would you would get it all locked down. The meeting is for the ro- with the with the big group is for the rollout of the plan, not for the not for the discussion of something you've already decided. You should get if Sansa's going to be put in charge, tell her, and then so when you say it, she'll be like on it and give everybody confidence but um, little finger smiles after that by the way which elicited booze <laughs> in our house because whenever little, little fingers happy about anything it's not a good sign so boo to that oh sansa's in charge yes yes i love sansa i'll i'll take care of that that'll be excellent he says and we it, boo him it's weird they haven't gotten a raven from the wall yet i know well this is the question is not in this episode at all is uh the wall and is bran and as John is leaving Winterfell, I'm thinking, no, Bran is coming to see you. But I actually don't know if Bran is coming to see him because I want that where Bran's like, before you go visit Daenerys, you should know you're related to her. But that nope, nope. Uh, so we don't know what's going on with uh, with uh, Bran at the wall. Yeah, I think chronologically, there's a we may just have to accept that Bran didn't actually get to the wall last episode 
He will get yeah. to the wall when it's time for him to do something else. Yeah, when the script but, says so, yeah. yeah. The speed of plot. Surely they would tell Winterfell as soon as they could. That your lost brother has been found? Yeah, yeah. you would think so. So that I was I was almost waiting for that kind of poetic, like, John rides out as the messenger rides in with the announcement <laughs> that uh, that uh, Bran is is uh, is back. But not quite. John rides out, and then we pan over, and there's Bran and Arya both getting to the <laughs> castle going, yeah. hey! <laughs> oh yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Before we move away from Winterfell, I want to throw out one more moment I really, really enjoyed. Again, I keep forgetting that not everybody in Westeros knows everything about everyone else in Westeros. So when he said at that big uh, all managers hands on meeting, I really enjoyed <laughs> when he said, uh, "She's there in Dragonstone, and she has three dragons." And everyone goes, "Oh, dragons! Yeah. She has dragons! What the?" It, it was great for us to finally have a moment of, "Oh, that's right. This is another big reveal for them, even though we've known this for six years." She's got the she, and and the, he says that this is three dragons is all it took for them to take over all of Westeros, right? So uh, mm-hmm. worth worth listening and also knowing that they breathe fire and that could be really useful. The last scene in Winterfell is Littlefinger talking to John down in the crypt. We get to, we get a nice shot of uh, the Ned Stark statue, pretty good likeness, I would say, down there in the crypt. Um, and he gives Littlefinger says, "Give Tyrion my best," and which I'm thinking, "Oh well, if you said that, Littlefinger sends his regards to uh, how big uh, an eye roll would Tyrion give to that? Fantastic!" Um, and uh, and uh, you know, we know that Littlefinger part of his deal is that he's upset. He was obsessed with Catelyn Stark. And he says, your father loved Kat very much. She wasn't fond of you. She she vastly underestimated you. Um, he also says, you should be grateful to me because I saved your hide by bringing the army here. And I love your sister just as I loved your mother um, because I'm a creepy guy. <laughs> at, at which point, John strangles him a little bit and says, if you touch my sister, I will kill you myself. And then he storms off. And this is an interesting scene. It, it is these characters behaving exactly as I would expect. It does make me feel like this is just providing even more added impetus for whatever the comeuppance John is going to get by letting Littlefinger have free reign in Winterfell. Yeah, I, he's creepy. I tuned out until John came up and strangled him, and I really, really appreciated that. And I was like, ooh, I'm interested again, because I'm just yeah, sick of Littlefinger of. being creepy. Yeah, he wasn't doing a lot. Just, you know, I like your sister. I really like your sister. You know, I was hot about. I was hot on your mom. <laughs> I'm she a died. weasel, you know. I yeah. do a lot of political maneuvering, and oh, good. So John's not entirely putting up with that. Although, to be fair to Littlefinger, he did save John's did. life with his army. So maybe a little more thanks to that. Yeah. I mean, how many how many thank yous can can he give though? I, I don't Apparently know. Apparently, he hadn't given one. Well, yeah, okay, that's rude. That's rude, <laughs> and that's the reason Sansa's is keeping him. him around too. So, I I would like to believe that Sansa. Where we're going is that the show wants us to believe that when Littlefinger is given free reign to kind of manipulate Sansa and put the moves on her, that he's going to get what he wants. I'm not entirely no. convinced because i feel like what we've already seen from sansa is that Littlefinger's going to find that he can't do his work his moves as well as he thinks he can with her well, he already gave her to robin aaron and uh ramsey snow slash bolton right like oh that ramsey snow i'm just gonna keep doing that i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> he's a snow he could literally be any anybody 
I'm okay. imagining Monty's like boiling up like a cartoon character with steam coming out of his ears. Perhaps that's why I said Slash Bolton to identify him. <laughs> that's what names are often for. Interesting. Yeah, that one. That's how I said, oh, that's Ramsey Snow. Is it made more sense when you said Slash Bolton? I was like, oh, I get it. That one. Yes. Yes. She has. Uh, he should have no credibility with her because he's already sold her off twice. You're absolutely right. And yet he hangs around. Is it is it possible that Littlefinger is um, the mastermind of all these things? Is it actually going to be brought low by his um, ridiculous obsession with Catelyn and her daughter? That that he, it's going to lead him to do stupid things. Is that is it really possible that that where may, may be where they're going with this? He might be obsessed with Sansa, but he also gave her away to two total creeps. Right. So. He doesn't seem all that in love with Sansa. Well, if you if you love someone truly, you let them go to whatever creeps you want, and if they come back, they were truly yours. With sarcasm eyes. I don't know. I feel like this is, at least my read on it, and I think maybe some of this is from the books, is that one of Littlefinger's great weaknesses is his legitimate obsession with Catelyn, and, and then here it is extended explicitly to Sansa, that um, he's just... This is a thing he can't help, um, but I'm not sure. I, I I feel I feel like I'm doing a lot of uh, wishing here. When in fact, what's going to happen is Littlefinger's going to do stuff that is making is going to make me angry, um, because that's his role is to do that. Like the scheme. show needs to be better than that, though. Like they have a plan for him if he's still here, and they've grown in so many ways over the past season or two, and or ex- excuse me, season and two episodes, and the fact that he's still around indicates to me that there's a reason for him to be there he's going to get his comeuppance Uh, maybe it may also be that what we see here is that he works diligently for the right side here but he's planning in the background to uh you know position himself for the aftermath (laughs) i didn't know we'd selected a right side uh i'm going anti-zombie that's me okay well, I'm going with the team that has the dragons because they're the ones that will eventually kill the zombies, even though they may wait until the zombies are at King's Landing's door. I feel like the resurrected Jon Snow is probably um, gonna. Uh, maybe I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm I'm a real believer in the in the Jon Daenerys uh, uh, kind of power sharing accord. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. She wants him to bend the knee. We'll see how it goes. We got to get those two on the same screen to see if they have any chemistry together yeah. as next, actors. Next week. Next week. We'll see. <laughs> um, it might be next week anyway. Uh, let's go to, uh, King's Landing. Not a lot in King's Landing this week, but we get some. We get the anti-immigration speech, as we mentioned <laughs> earlier, which is savages and heathens are coming with Daenerys. We must stand together. Um, they they, they, they uh, gin up the fear of Dothraki immigrants to these shores that they've never been here before. What are they up to? Foreign savages and eunuchs are coming to. So it's a. Uh, well, the, she's right, though. Like, she's not. Oh, she's not wrong, but she's using it as a way to drum up support for the Lannisters, like, you know, Westeros for Westerosi. Yeah. Kick out the, well, this foreign power, you know, foreign powers that are using Daenerys as a proxy. We're well, all 100% Westerosi here. I want to be mad at her for her xenophobic language, but the Dothraki did literally come to this country explicitly to depose her. Yes. So I think 
I think she has a right to say, look at these Dothraki coming to attack the government. Oh, she's not she's not wrong. And I, I think it's interesting that um, the the game planning that Tyrion and Daenerys have takes it into account. Like we can't go to King's Landing with a foreign army and expect the support of the local uh, lords. And and Cersei's <laughs> absolutely right to call them out on it. Um, it's weird that Cersei has the support of the local lords, though, because all she's done recently has been blow up essentially the Vatican City and kill a lot of nobles. She's setting up a moment where, you know, she's calling everyone out. You were loyal to the Tyrells, and I cannot have anyone but super loyal Lannister loyals in uh, in our court. And the way that she's getting support from them is, A, xenophobia, which, of course, we can call her out for xenophobia and still think she's justified in being scared of the Dothraki because, let's face it, they are coming here to kill them. And two, uh, she wants to threaten to take away any power they have through her by saying, you're going to be loyal to me, right? Because I know you were loyal to the Tyrells at one point. My gut feeling here is that we are really being, especially since um, Jamie has that whole conversation with Sam's father about like you need to you need to stick with us even though you're the Tarleys have been sworn to the Tyrells you're also sworn to the to the, the 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 crown which is really interesting because of course Cersei shows has no legitimacy to be the queen of the seven kingdoms she just proclaimed herself the queen of the seven yeah. kingdoms is the oath literally to just whoever happens to be wearing the crown or sitting in the throne yeah exactly so i feel like what they're setting up here is really this question which is who will be loyal to the Lannisters. And I, I'm not sure I buy it either. Like, how much loyalty... The, I mean, did, did anybody really like the Lannisters? And what fear is left? What army is left? How... how well, we, yeah. we saw that the people hated Joffrey. Right. And then his mother, whom they also hated, like I say, blew up the most important religious building in the capital. Yes. So how much support how much support does she have from I mean the people hate her right but the lords is the question like the lords want to be on the winning side right so I I feel like um it's an interesting battle cuz she needs all these lords on her side but she knows that if the perception is that she doesn't have a chance she will lose them all which is why we get that scene where um she's down in the uh in the in the with the dragon skeletons in the bottom of the castle and he shows that they're building big crossbows basically to uh, to to fire at dragons that scene so we're told you know look out for dragons they're unkillable but no kyburn has an anti-dragon plan i get excited because yeah. you know he's an alchemist he's maybe he's got some diabolical system no he's just invented the ballista <laughs> Yeah. This is a siege crossbow. As you can see, it goes through a dragon skull. I recommend we point some of these up into the sky. Yep. This is his best hope. That yeah. image of the dragon skull with the bolt in its eye was incredible. I want that as my desktop background. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I'm not sure whether Kyburn will be incredibly successful with these things, but he's given it a try. He's the mad scientist of... Uh, of uh, of King's Landing, I do wonder. Um, there's some speculation I saw on the internet about that. Um, it's possible that um, what's his name, Euron uh, Greyjoy, might have something going on in terms of a magical item that's referenced in the books, and he might have it that is supposed to actually have uh, some kind of efficacy against dragons. I do wonder if something like that is coming, or whether they're really thinking like. Um, Haha! They think that they can get us with their dragons, but we have these big crossbows. All right, good. <laughs> Mounted on our wooden boats? Yeah. I hope Euron has a plan for the flying fireballs, because otherwise it'll be short work for him. Yeah. 
Exactly. Remember how, last week how I was talking about the narrative weight I wanted for Daenerys' storyline? This is it. Everyone's talking about her. Everyone's scared of her. Everyone's preparing for yeah. her. This is exactly what I'm looking for in Daenerys' storyline. Everyone else being scared of her. We see the news spreading in the, these various scenes. The first John scene and the first Cersei scene are both basically like the news that Daenerys is there and she's got dragons and she's she's made landing and now it's like another threat to everybody else. And it is, you're right, from the, our perspective, like we've been following Daenerys' story since the beginning, but from a lot of these um, people's perspectives, you could basically say that like this is the... This is the start of it, which is Daenerys has landed and she has dragons and she's going to try to take back the the throne. And so they all have to react now to this when we've been seeing her story from the very beginning because they don't they haven't. Been. They've been distracted by the constant wars that are going on in their fields. Exactly. For the past few years, like they're on their what fourth king. Yeah. And news doesn't travel particularly fast. And the people who are in the know are not necessarily spreading this information. People yeah. who, who did know that the Daenerys was out there and married the horse uh, king and all of that stuff. Um, at, uh, at Old Town, we spend our time with Sam. Mostly this whole segment is about Jorah, um, who gets a very bad diagnosis, which is you'll live for a while, but you're going to lose your mind in six months from the grayscale. Um, Jim Broadbent very clearly is like, it's beyond our skills. We can't help him. And Sam's like, but what about uh, Stannis's daughter? That she got cured. And he's like, does this look like Stannis's daughter to you, dummy? Is basically what Jim Broadbent says. But Sam is digging in the books and thinks he knows better. He found a cure from from grayscale in a book written by a guy who died of grayscale. Well, that's not good. Well, that makes sense. I mean, this person was probably exposed to grayscale a lot. Yeah, exactly right. It's just like, I mean, his argument there is that if it really cured grayscale, uh, he wouldn't have died of it. But I'm not sure I'm entirely uh, convinced. And then in, in the end, what we get is this third scene is Jorah is writing a letter to Daenerys when Sam interrupts him and basically says, um, I was with your father when he died. I really like that closing that loop of like, I knew your father at the wall. I was with knew him your when father, he died. I did. Knew your, yeah, that's right. Drink some rum. Wait a second. Let me drink some rum. Then you drink the rest of the rum because what's going to happen is I'm going to peel all of those grayscale things off of your skin bite down on this again i i implore you please don't try to scream or you'll get us both in trouble and then he sets to basically exfoliate all of the grayscale off of uh, jora and that's what we get in this scene which is uh it's interesting i i uh I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that this is uh, this is the Jorah storyline is Sam giving uh, peeling uh, grayscale off of him, but it was truly horrific. Yeah, you two know um, how much I love horror movies. I could not watch this; it was disgusting. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of the David Cronenberg The Fly. Hmm. Oh yeah, there are scenes where Jeff Goldblum is picking away his arm. It was like that. And if you're going for a body horror scene, being like Cronenberg means you nailed it. I, I like the idea, too, <laughs> that the solution may be, and again, it may not be, but the solution may be if I do this horrible thing and peel all these, just rip your skin off and then put some ointment on it, it might work. Yeah. Um, and, and the question is like, okay, you are going to lose your mind in no more than six months and then die uh, as a, uh, or, or will kill you. Or you can go through this incredibly painful thing and maybe it will cure you. And, you know, this is the answer for Jorah is, all right, let's, let's, all right, kid with a bottle of rum who just broke yeah. into my room, let's do it. I did wonder why they only had rum, because in previous seasons, they've been very quick to whip out the milk of the poppy when anyone complains yeah. about anything. I wonder- and I feel like maybe Westeros also has an opioid addiction problem, mm. and that's why they're scaling back on prescribing it. 
Yeah, maybe maybe in Old Town there there. Uh, I, I was surprised too that there wasn't a more uh, powerful anesthetic, but it may simply be that Sam couldn't get it. Well, he got whatever the medicinal gel is that he's going to rub all over him once well, he takes the scales. I think off. he mixed. I think he mixed something together based on what was in the book. But it, but the really powerful anesthetics are perhaps um, harder for somebody to get because of the opioid crisis in Westeros. It's like like a, like getting a Sudafed. It's behind the counter. You got to show ID before you can get it, and he couldn't do that, so he had to just give it. But it's easy to buy rum. You can get rum anywhere, basically. Yeah. Pretty weak rum, I thought. Yeah, I yeah I I, I agree. Uh, Jorah could have been you know drink here, just keep drinking it until you pass out, and then I'll do this. But instead, he's awake for the whole thing. I don't know. Um, the so we'll see what happens with Jorah. The most important part of this entire segment, folks, and Brian, I know you loved this. You must have loved this. Is um, Lansing horrible boils of grayscale transition to breaking open a hot pie? Ooh! The first thing I thought was, "Oh God, that looks like a Panera bread bowl." No, don't. Oh God, it is. No, it don't is. associate yeah. with this eating. Oh, he's eating. <laughs> Damn it! It's our second gross food thing in a row. Yeah, I'm just going to associate this uh, old town with all the disgusting things. Yeah, it was like it was like, what are they doing? They're popping like a pussy boil, and oh, it's so horrible. Oh, it's a pie. Okay, and and I I thought to myself, it's a pie. That's interesting. And no sooner had I thought yeah. those words when the greatest thing to happen on Game of Thrones ever happens, which is as always the return of hot pie. Woo! Hot pie, Woo! Woo! hot pie, my boy, hot the pie, best hot pie, hot pie. We love Hot Pie. He's the best. He's the best. He's still alive. He's still he making says pies. He's a survivor. I believe him. When I he do says too. he's a survivor. He's going to live through this whole thing. I believe in him. I, I kind of want the last scene to be like a pie delivered to to whoever is sitting on the Iron Throne by Hot Pie. Like it's just you yeah. and me in the pie. Here, I cook this. The dragons cook this for you. Here's your hot pie. That's what I want. I want Hot Pie to be victorious. If I believe nothing else about this show, it's that Hot Pie will always live and Gendry will never get around to coming back into the story. No, Gendry will never <laughs> finally be able to reclaim his uh, rightful place as the king of Westeros, even though he might actually have a way better claim than anybody else at this point. Um, but yes, Hot Pie. I did think of Gendry. And it's like, are we going to see Gendry too? Nope. <laughs> nope. But we saw Hot Pie. He's making pies for Arya. Um, he asks, he follows up hilariously. Did you ever meet the big lady? She was looking for you. And, and she's like, oh yeah, I did. And obviously is thinking back to when, um, when she, she killed, except didn't the hound. Um, and, uh, and when he asks what happened to her, she basically doesn't answer and says, got any ale. And, uh, that's about it. But then <laughs> I, Hot Pie has, again, here's the, hey, didn't you hear? Uh, aren't you going to Winterfell? Uh, they killed the Boltons and John's in charge now. Your, your brother. Here, he specifies, he specifies, Monty, Snow. your brother. Yep. <laughs> so that, that helps. And, uh, and another great Hot Pie line, which is, I can't believe I thought you were a boy, which makes me laugh because that was... Oh, I loved that, that because great. Arya has spent like a season and a half or two seasons honing herself into being a sociopathic murderer. But now all of a sudden she's being told by an old friend that she's pretty and that she could go home and be with her family again. Yeah. And she actually has to make a choice. Do I consider turning back into a person? Yeah. Yeah, the choice of she has two. I mean, that that's that that wonderful moment of like, where do I go now? Do I go to King's Landing and kill Cersei, or do I go back home? 
and she has to has she, she, she has that option has she crossed too far into the realm of sociopath where everything she's fighting for doesn't matter anymore which brings us to when she meets Namiria, which I was really hoping when when I start when the the horse started looking around, I was like, oh 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 oh, oh is there a direwolf? Is there a direwolf? There's totally a direwolf. Her direwolf, who she sent away when um, Joffrey was going to have it, have her killed, and she's got a pack of wolves that she runs with now, and she's like, I'm going to go home to Winterfell. Come with me, and Namiria basically like recognizes her but turns and leaves with her wolf pack and she says oh that's not you which if you watch the post uh credits uh thing with the producers that hbo posts um that's meant to be a direct reference to when uh, ned wants to have her be a pretty princess and she says that's not me so this is the real question is like is this moment brian reflecting what you just said which is can she go home or has she changed to the point where she can't because she's now a killer instead of who she was when she was last at Winterfell. Is she like her wolf? And I think, yes, given her reaction to her wolf, because she seems so freaking happy. <laughs> I, I hope she goes home. I, I enjoy her as a remorseless killer, but I would really like to see her and Sansa just actually meet up. I don't know what she and, and Sansa and Bran would do if they were hanging out, but uh, it would be kind of fun to see the Stark kids together again, those who who still live. I also am not 100% sure whether uh, whether it'll be interesting to see when we see her again, because this also every time I see uh, Sansa and she's left, or sorry, Arya, and she's left in a um, a, a position where she has to choose what to do next with this faceless killer stuff. I feel like then you, then what the show wants to do is like not show her in the next episode. And then the episode after that, she appears in a place you're not expecting and murders somebody. So that may be what's going on here is like, is she going to appear and kill Cersei in two weeks? Or is, is she just going to walk into the gates of Winterfell and say hi to her sister? I don't know. This also happened immediately after John left for the South. So the yeah. first thing I thought, as soon as we saw Arya on screen, I thought, no, 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 not right after John leaves. Come on, don't do this to me, Game of Thrones. And well, they could. Just I think one of them's going to each die. other. Yeah, although he's getting on a boat, right, to, to, to sail to Dragonstone. They're they're just going over to the water and then getting on a boat. So I think that they wouldn't pass each other like on right. the roads because they got to get around the Lannisters. <laughs> I, th- I think we're going back to the early days of not knowing how long it takes anyone to get anywhere. It's classic. Like, I remember in the first season, Littlefinger was basically teleporting around the map mm-hmm. to do all of his shenanigans. He's While Arya was, like, traveling across the continent the entire one season. Yeah. Or there was that one best prostitute in Westeros. Oh, yeah, yeah, remember yeah. when she was a character? <laughs> Good she took uh, forever to go down the King's Road to King's Landing when everybody else was just zipping up back and forth. Well, she was taking her time. She was working her way yeah. down. Try to squeeze out some extra screen time. Yep. And I think Joffrey killed her. Yeah. Yeah, well, he he killed a lot of people. Last segment is that that uh those those ships uh Yara and Theon uh uh and their ships are taking and I'm not entirely clear here, but I think what they're doing is they're taking the party that was visiting a Dragonstone or at least the the Dornish party back to Dorne. I think I, I don't think this is the collective invasion force of like Dorne and stuff. I, I, I got this as being like because she even says when we're in Dorne, I'll get you some wine or something like that. But I'm unclear, like who is involved in doing in, in this little trip that goes awry. I thought I this agree. was the trip to King's Landing. 
Because if you actually look at a map, Dragonstone is at the mouth of the bay that right. King's Landing is in. Those two places are really close together. But they don't have their army. They don't have their armies yet. So the way way I read it was that they're leaving Dragonstone to take the Sand Snakes back to Dorne, and then the Dornish army will be massed, and they will go and they will go or they'll go on the ships. But they may have jumped. That makes sense ahead, right? Because they didn't bring. I don't think they brought the whole uh, Tyrell and uh, and uh, Martell armies to Dragonstone. I don't think they did that. I think it was just sort of like a a parlay with the leaders. So it may be. I guess we'll find out next week. It, it's unclear. All we see are the Greyjoys and the uh, the the Martell family people, the Sand Snakes and the and the Lady <laughs> Mama Sand Snake, who's in a bunch of this episode. And I don't know her name. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe Write we'll see her us. again. Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with writing and tell- telling us something. I, for one, am delighted that we have readers that care enough to interact with us. These other two hate you. You can tweet at us at TVNet, <laughs> by the way, T E E V E E N E T, if you want to tweet directly to the podcast um, instead of uh, instead of directly to us. You can also just tweet directly at me. And is it Ariane Martel? Is that who it is? I only know that there is a Mama Sand Snake Mama and Sand- three other Sand yeah, Snakes, well, this is, and I can't tell them apart at I'm all. I'm talking about Mama Sand Snake. Anyway, this the the Greyjoys and their boats are taking uh, somebody somewhere, and the Sand Snakes and the other Martels are involved, and they're having a conversation and. And Yara is uh, is chatting up Mama Sand Snake, and they're about to kind of get it on. And Theon is sort of like watching, and then he's like going to excuse himself. And then they are rammed, and it is Euron's scary fleet of the rapidly built, incredible, amazing ships. And they board their ship and kill a whole bunch of people, including <laughs> the including most or all of the Sand Snakes. And that uh, made me so sad. Oh my god. Two, I think. Two snakes. We saw two sand snakes die. Yes. Yeah. Whip sand snake and uh, whale rider sand snake. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but and they and they take Mama Sand Snake hostage or or whatever, bring her upstairs, and uh, Euron's got Yara, and uh, and Theon is watching this, and he says, "Come and get her." And Theon has a total. Um, Ramsey Bolton flashback moment. Basically, he starts blinking. He's super nervous, Ugh. and he just jumps over the uh, over the edge of the boat into the water and flees. I was hoping for more, but he's got that PTSD, and he's really afraid does. of people with giant smiles who are crazy. And Euron has a huge smile and is super crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is that is absolutely what's going on there. Is that is that um, Theon is not, and they, the producers did actually say this in the after show too, which is. Um, Theon is messed up and you can't, they felt like they couldn't just be like, no, he's fine now. He's fine. They're like, no, he's broken. He's, he, he was broken. He's not going to be fine ever. And this is a moment that puts him under this particular stress and much to Yara's disappointment as she's being threatened with death from, uh, from their uncle. Um, he just, uh, jumps over the over the edge of the ship and into the water and watches as the as the 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 ships that he was on are all kind of burning out in the middle of the ocean and that's how the uh, or the sea and that's how the episode ends so i feel bad for theon because he is just a, a just a messed up dude and he has failed his uh 
failed his sister here. On the other side of the coin, I really do feel like Theon is always the subject of women having terrible things happening to them for his character growth. And that happened two seasons ago. That happened again this episode. And I didn't think about it from the context of any possible PTSD that he has, but he's always, you know, treated as the focal point of terrible things happening around him. Yeah. True. Even, even though he is the least useful person on the boat, like his moment of indecision was given way more screen time and attention than the death of Whip Sand Snake, who we right. just kind of saw getting strangled and then we cut away. Which was, of course, the problem with the you know huge controversy at the end of season five. Yeah, I will say I continue to enjoy Euron. Um, I I realize he's a villain. But I also think he's probably the right king for the Greyjoys, and I like seeing somebody enjoy his work. Yep, he doesn't. He, he does enjoy it, and he seems to be good at getting uh, getting ships built. And I think I will take him at his word that he is a very good captain, and he learned from the best. Right? I, I think he's not. I, I think he's a very competent villain in that way. Mostly, I just like how enthusiastic he looked. Oh like, yeah, when the thing landed on the other ship, and he ran down and just gave it a go. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very well. These are these are the pirates, right? I mean, he's that yeah. was almost he was almost Klingon with his like. Today <laughs> is a good day to die. He reminded me of Lord Flashheart from Blackadder. Okay, like that level of Rick Mayall enthusiasm for whatever nonsense he's doing. We need villains, right? And whether it's something like Euron or maybe it's the scheming of Littlefinger, we need more than just the Night King and Cersei. I suppose just to keep it interesting for a while. Um, and Euron is more like, what was Cersei going to have to do? Like, she doesn't seem, I don't know, having a foil like him seems effective. I agree. And I feel like the fact that, you know, he's here doing something, you know, everyone's saying that nothing happened last episode. Well, here's your battle. Enjoy. And he's an integral part of that. And if he's going to be as big a part of the story as I feel like the season is building him up to be, he's got to be that villain. He's got to be someone we enjoy watching. He's got to be somebody that we have to, uh, you know, fear if we're going to take him seriously. All right. Well, that is that is it, though. That is that is how it ends. Theon's floating in the water. And so ends episode two. Yes, we got we got that uh, we got some action for those who want that, and then a lot of other character bits too. Um, Brian, you still um, having a good uh, having a good season season so far? To win, it was my favorite episode of the season so far. Uh, no, I feel like Daenerys uh, at the very least got the narrative weight that she deserved, and we got a cool big battle at the end. And yeah, we've talked before on the show how I usually tune out for big battles because unless someone dies, like the Sand Snakes, which made me very sad, I still appreciate the fact that you know they have the budget to do these big ridiculous battles. And yeah. as upset as I am about Theon's quote-unquote character development in the face of his sister being grabbed and you know taken hostage, I still think that the show has. A lot going for it cinematically and you know what's the word action wise they're, they're doing cool things yeah. to propel the action rainy pirate battle in the dark is not my favorite action scene i gotta be honest it, it, it's fine there was a lot of it was great that they had things that were on fire because that allowed it to have a little more dynamism in that there were fireballs and things with flames but uh, as as favorite action scenes on game of thrones go this is not going to be high on my list but it was dramatic in the sense of like um, you know, what was the outcome going to be? Who was going to die? Who was going to make it through? And, uh, and yes, for those who were seeking action, you have now received it for sure. 
All right. Um, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, we will be back next week with more talk about Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones will be back next week. And yes, you can tweet at us if you want to about all the things we remember and all the things that we forgot and anything else you want. T-E-E-V-E-E-N-E-T is the website or is the Twitter handle for this podcast. I am Jay Snell. Brian is underscore Brian Hamilton. And Monty Ashley is at Monty underscore ashley that's us you can tell us what we forgot and also tell us what we should remember for next time and until then for monty ashley and brian hamilton i have been jason snell thank you for listening to the game of thrones flashcast and until next week goodbye goodbye